Nick Sirianni, a.k.a. Coach Bro, getting his second win of the season. Upset fashion over the Carolina Panthers. Just one of the crazy outcomes of week five of the 2021 season. Speaking of crazy outcomes, how about those overmatched Texas A&M Aggies coached by local product from where I am, Jimbo Fisher, beating another local product from where I am, Nick Saban, the first time Nick Saban has lost to one of his former pupils ever. I actually watched all of a college football game for the first time in a long time. And I have to admit, I was rooting for was Texas A&M. Shereen, I like chaos. And nothing <laughs> says chaos like Alabama losing. Uh, it was, Mike, and it was a great day. And I wish I could say I had faith. I saw it coming. I didn't go to the game because I thought they were going to get blown out. I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I, I thought a blowout was coming. So congrats to the Ags. They made my weekend. They look great. Congrats to Jimbo Fisher for what he did. Nine million a and year, that's what we expect. Let me just say something. I noticed this Friday in the background of Miles Simmons' shot, and I didn't mention it. I see it behind you. You have a new addition there. But you need to turn it a little bit because the light's hitting it, and people can't see that it's a copy of okay, Playmakers yeah. comes out March 15, 2022. I had to give you a little hard time about that, though. But I appreciate you putting it in the background. I don't have it in the background of my shot. So the folks at PFT know how to suck up. And it works. That's the best thing about <laughs> sucking up. It is effective. So thank you, Shereen. Uh, by the way, you can order Playmakers anywhere that you get your books. It comes out March 15 of 2022. Meanwhile, week five of the 2021 NFL season, what stood out to you the most? Well, you know what, Mike, I think it was the Bills' victory over the Chiefs simply because it tells you how far they've come since the championship game of last season. And they looked terrific. And they didn't let the delay at halftime do anything to them. They came right back out. And, and I was just impressed with the way they played. And I think they showed me at least, and I know you had them number one in your power rankings last week as well, and you've written that they're the only dominant team in the NFL I agree with you. They're the dominant team in the NFL right now. They're playing great. That really stood out to me, just the way they dominated the Chiefs. Yeah, and I didn't have the guts to pick them to beat the Chiefs because I thought that for that one night, the Chiefs would pull it together yeah. and beat the Bills, even though the Bills have been dominant. They continue to be dominant. And they do what the Ravens did earlier this year on a Sunday night, finally beat a longtime nemesis, relatively speaking. I mean, we're just talking about a few years, but a few years feels like a lot in the NFL. The Chiefs had owned the Ravens. The Chiefs had owned the Bills. And now the Chiefs have two losses this year to the Ravens and the Bills. And their other loss is to the Chargers. I mean, we talk so much about the records of teams who haven't beaten anyone like the Broncos. We've got to give the Chiefs a little bit of slack here. They've got three losses. And the teams that have beaten them each have one loss on the entire season. So <laughs> the Chiefs, look, yeah. I'm not ready to give up on the Chiefs. I agree with you that it was a big deal that the Bills beat them, but I'm not ready to write the Chiefs off. I think the Chiefs become dangerous the more that they are overlooked. And speaking of danger, the thing that stands out to me is the physical danger of playing professional football. We saw so many injuries on Sunday. We see plenty of them every week. We get desensitized to it. Guys down. We'll be right back. Fox plays that kind of jazz music on the way out. Like, we're just used to it. And... Yeah. When, when there's a cluster of injuries and you hear about two different guys who go to the hospital because of throat contusions and it's amazing that guys aren't hit in the trachea, which is a fairly sensitive area on the body, and if it swells shut, you die. I, you know, these, this is a, a serious sport involving serious physical risk, both 
short-term and long-term, whether it's orthopedic, whether it's cognitive issues. And on a day like today, and, and this is one of the points I try to make early in Playmakers. book comes out March 15, 2022. Pre-order wherever you find your books. But one of the points I try to make is fans need to understand what it means for the men who play football. Fans do get desensitized to it because when one guy goes down, there's another one that takes a spot and the game keeps going. I remember two years ago, Ben Roethlisberger gets injured week two. He's gone for the year. We just keep going like he was never there. It, it happens all the time. We need to remember that these are men. They are human. They are flesh and blood like the rest of us. They have mental and emotional issues like the rest of us. And it is a ton of pressure to just be healthy in the NFL. But then you have that constant risk of injury. And I, I just wish that more people would, would appreciate that. And also, when players are trying to get paid, we fall in line like lemmings behind the owners because we identify with the laundry, your favorite team. We're, we're, we're rooting for the owner, not because we feel bad for the owner. We feel like the owner needs his money, but we feel more identity with the team, with the owner, and you get mad at the player because the perception is the player's the one who's screwing everything up because the player's being greedy. Well, that's part of the PR spin. We need to understand for the players, this is their shot. And this compensation they're getting for the physical risks that they're taking, it's – it's not a windfall. It's not a lottery prize. They earn it every single day, and it's their only chance to make significant money. So I, I just hope that that folks will will pause from time to time because we enjoy the sport. You don't want to be Debbie Downer over it, yeah. but understand that each individual player is a human, and each individual player is experiencing pain and suffering and mental distress and emotional distress from time to time, and. It's it's easy to view them as robots, and and I just I just hope that from time to time fans realize that they're not and understand that when they're trying to get compensated, maybe we should be a little more sensitive to what they're trying to do. Anyway, that that's my rant for today. Well, in two thousand one, Mike, I wrote a story, one of the best stories I've probably ever written, called "Playing in Pain." And I talked to current players at that time and former players, and it was amazing all the surgeries they had, the hips, the shoulders, the knees, how they couldn't walk after they finished the game. And they know what they're getting into. I get all that. I understand that. They understand the risk. And things have changed a lot since 2001. But just to hear those current players then talk about how week to week, how much pain they were playing in, and that it felt like a car wreck week after week after week, and you were just trying to survive to the next one to get yourself healthy enough to get through it. And when coaches and players say nobody's ever 100% this time of year, that starts in week one. Nobody's ever 100%, Mike. They all play in pain every single week. And these I'm never going to question the toughness of anybody who plays in the NFL because I know I certainly couldn't do it. We look at a guy like Rob Gronkowski trying to come back, what he's trying to come back from. It's a tough, tough sport, Mike. So physical. Yeah, one of the reasons he retired is because he was injured all the time. And, and, and it just wears on you. And I was always impressed with his ability to have that kind of goofy, sunny disposition, even though he had all those different procedures. He had the broken forearm on an extra point nearly a decade ago, multiple surgeries, staph infection, pick line, serious stuff. And we just are completely desensitized to it as fans because the game keeps going. And this year especially, it feels like, the games are more intense. 
They're more physically demanding. The, the primetime games are more competitive than I think they've been in a long time. And everyone's got to pick themselves up, put themselves back together, and do it again seven days, six days, or four days later. And I don't know how they're going to do it 17 times. Peter King and I were talking about this last week. The idea of 17 games with the NFL fully intent on going to 18, and Peter wrote something about it today in Football Morning in America, that the NFL should really think seriously about expanding to 18 games. It would do it right now if it could. It would add an 18th game to this season if it could. Oh, yeah. And I hope that they, that they, they're going to want to increase inventory because of legalized gambling. I get it. But instead of increasing the size of the season, just, let's just go ahead and start adding teams. If you want more inventory, let's go with 34 teams and then 36 and then 38 and then eventually 40. And hopefully we'll be alive when it gets to 40, Shereen, because it won't happen anytime soon. But if, if they're compelled to increase inventory to make more money off of gambling, don't do it with more games. Do it with more teams and more jobs and more money for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. And then you you could increase the playoffs, too. I'd rather see expanded playoffs. I know we've added the one wild card team than an expanded season. I think that 16 games is plenty. I don't know how this 17th game is going to go over. I'm going to be interested at the end of the season. How many games are meaningless at the end of the year? We always have that week 17 in the past that have been so many meaningless games. Is it going to be now week 16, 17, and 8? And, like, how's this going to work? How many meaningless games are we going to have? So I'm with you. Add teams, add playoff games however you want to do it but don't add any more games to the regular season we don't need it and cut the preseason while you're at it and it's a weird vibe this year because I don't know what that 17th game is going to mean I don't know how it's going to feel I don't know what to think of it and I don't remember feeling that way in the late 70s when the league expanded from 14 to 16 and I was frankly as ardent of a fan then as I am now then it was just there was less discussion about it it just kind of happened and I was happy to go from six preseason games to four hey that's great more football but I didn't think of how it would feel and what it would be like and what the vibe would be and we're still kind of learning that on the fly one thing we learned today as we finally get to the things we're supposed to talk about this is one of those days when the producer (laughs) is wondering when in the hell are these people going to start talking about the things that are on the outline Joe Burrow released from a hospital last night throat contusion yesterday he was poked in the throat i'm told they don't know quite when it happened it wasn't when he hit his head on the turf during the overtime loss to the packers because that was a scary moment in and of itself but he had that throat contusion was having trouble speaking they took him to the hospital as a precaution you want to make sure it doesn't swell because you know if it, if it swells uh shut you got a problem because that's how you breathe so we had two guys yesterday both Burrow and Browns linebacker Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa in the hospital for a throat contusion and to be evaluated to make sure it didn't turn serious. But Burrow, good to go, and that's very good news, Shereen. This guy is a warrior, and I don't use that term lightly, and everyone in the NFL is. But, you know, he's a guy that just seems to shrug at any and all peril that he finds himself in. And that attitude, unfortunately, is going to invite more peril for Joe Burrow when he plays with that kind of fearlessness, the reality is the physicality is going to catch up with him at some point. 
Well, Mike, the first thing I did when I saw that he had a throat injury was I went to see where the Bengals play next week. And I guess if they're going to have a road game, they're fortunate it's in Detroit because I don't know how big of a crowd is going to be in Detroit. But if you remember back last year, Frank Ragnow had the fractured throat. He said he couldn't talk for two weeks. And one of the reasons they took Joe Burrow to the hospital was because he had a hard time talking at the end of the game. So is he going to be able to call plays in the huddle? Is he going to be able to call protections and plays at the line of scrimmage? I think that's a concern right now of him being able to talk, especially over a crowd, any road game. Perhaps Lions fans will be nice and, and considerate and not be loud, and there won't be many of them there. But nonetheless, I think that's kind of what you worry about with this injury right now with Joe Burrow is just calling the plays in the huddle and calling them at the line of scrimmage, especially if he has to yell. Unless they dust off the old Steve DeBerg speaker system. In 1980, yeah. he had laryngitis, and they actually built a loudspeaker into his shoulder pads. Go Google it. I should probably write something about it. it it's an amazing story. But but he, they did that to amplify his voice, and DeBerg was able to play because then his teammates could hear him. But uh, that, that's uh, something that, that it makes sense to pay attention to going forward, whether or not he is going to have any issues with his voice as this potential throat contusion uh, heals or doesn't over the course of the next few days. Tom Brady literally plays in a few days. Thursday night, the Buccaneers and the Eagles get together. Brady showed up after yesterday's incredible performance, five touchdown passes. Uh, he's close to setting the all-time record for five touchdown passes in a game. He's close to setting the record for four touchdown passes in a game. But he showed up with his hand wrapped, and he told the reporters – when I was younger, I'd try to hide this, but at this point, I don't care. But there is a thumb injury. It's not expected to keep him out of the game on Thursday night. And, uh, again, if there was any real concern about it, we'd, we'd, we wouldn't know about it, just like the torn MCL that he had last year, Shereen. So I don't think this is anything. And if it was anything, they'd find a way to keep us from knowing anything about it. Yeah, the, the Buccaneers fake injury report, and I say fake because they obviously didn't practice today after yesterday's game. They had a walkthrough practice, and then they have to put out an injury report because they do play on Thursday. It just came out. Rob Gronkowski is did not practice, which we expected. Tom Brady is listed as limited, which I think we probably expected that, Mike, at this point in the week with him. I know the Buccaneers would prefer if it was a Sunday game with him having this, but he looked just fine after the injury, which occurred early. And I agree with you. If it was something that was a big deal, we wouldn't have seen him in that wrap at the end of the game. Now, was this a real practice or was this the Monday short week? If they actually yes, would have had a practice fake. today, this guy would have the practiced, wouldn't have report. practiced. That's always kind of goofy. It was a walkthrough. Yes. It was a walkthrough today. Yes. So they did have a practice. But, uh, you know, they, a lot of times on Monday of a short week, we'll get the note on the injury report. There was no practice today. If there would have been a practice, yeah. here's what ultimately would have happened. So they're getting ready for the Eagles on Thursday night. The Eagles played pretty well on Sunday, upset the Panthers, and obviously the Buccaneers need Tom Brady to be healthy and ready to go. And for now it looks like he will be. Another trend this year that is not an ideal trend is officiating. And, and you know, I, I feel bad sometimes, not all the time, just sometimes. Every once in a while I feel bad about giving the officials a hard time because they're just doing the best they can. It's not their fault that they're not as good as they need to be. It's not their fault that the NFL doesn't structure the officiating function in a way that 
allows mistakes that everyone makes. And look, I've said this for years now. Picture yourself down there among the gladiators wearing no pads, no helmet. You got black and white stripes. You got pants. That's it. You got no protection of any kind from getting run over, from getting knocked down, from anything that could happen to you while you're on the field. And you're expected, with the naked eye, to see things that are flashes and blurs and they're whizzing by you. And I I have been hammering on the idea of using a booth umpire who is a member of the crew, who can see what goes on from what we see at home and mesh it together with what happens on the field and Whatever the reason, they're making too many mistakes. And one of the areas, Shireen, where a lot of mistakes are being made is non-calls of pass interference. We saw it two weeks ago when the Chargers beat the Chiefs. Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill both got mugged on a Hail Mary attempt. We saw it last week where the Browns held Adam Thielen and kept him from getting the ball on what was an attempt to force overtime. And now, coincidentally, both teams that were involved in the last two non-calls the Browns and the Chargers there were some non-calls yesterday where the Browns were on the wrong side of it and there there were um in my mind there were two that stand out and we've got and actually there's a third one here that I haven't seen yet this is one on Browns AJ Green that should have been offensive pass interference and I've yet to see this let's see uh, let's take a look at this this is with nine minutes and four seconds left in the game this is, uh, let's see here. There's Justin Herbert. He's rolling to the left. He throws it down, and I don't know where the offensive pass interference is on that one. Is that offensive pass interference? I oh, there's that, a little tug. I I don't yeah, know about that. He grabs the jersey. Yeah. He grabs the jersey, but it's not like that's making it easier for him to catch the. I don't know what he's doing grabbing the jersey. No. You need the other hand to catch the football. That's I guess it's technically pass interference, but you're interfering with yourself. You're you're. You're holding the defensive back as you're, the ball's coming in. Like, get the other hand there so you can catch the ball. But anyway, I, I guess you could say that that's OPI. It's I don't know that it's affecting. But they didn't call it. The I defender, mean, they called it defensive call pass interference. Oh, they, they called, called it defensive, defensive pass interference. Oh, all right, that's well, not now, defensive now pass interference. There, that was now fourth and four play. Yeah, that's not defensive pass interference, Mike. All right. Now I understand. It's also helpful if I look at the outline before the show so I understand what's coming. <laughs> Thank you for that point of clarity. It got worse for the Browns later. Three minutes left in the game. Second and ten when they were trying to bleed the clock and they thought, hey, you know what? Let's let's do a little out and up to Donovan Peoples-Jones. They think we're going to throw to the sticks. Look at the pump and the stop and the go. Michael Davis pushes him well beyond the five yards where you're allowed to hit a guy. Now, the ball wasn't in the air, so it's not defensive pass interference. It should have been illegal contact, five-yard penalty on first down. Baker goes to his next read in the progression. He throws to Rashard Higgins, who apparently gets wiped out by Derwin James. So there were two fouls on one play, not called. The Browns at the time are leading 42-41. to They would have had a fresh set of downs and more of an opportunity to keep the Chargers from getting the ball back let's hear from baker mayfield after the game talking about the two non-calls that happened on that one fateful snap might as well just forward the fine letter uh we asked the ref on the sideline how the hell he missed that call i mean they're shoving donovan people's jones out of bounds and then higgy gets grabbed so there's two pis on one play uh they don't call it i mean but we shouldn't have even been in that position like i said left too many points in the field uh 
first half. But it's it's very frustrating when, you know, we didn't do our job enough to, you know, to just take the ball game away, and we left it in the hands of somebody else. So we got to be better on that. Players for that kind of criticism of officials, it, it takes something more than that. But, uh, I, you know, I see his point, Shireen. And it's unfortunate yeah. that they're missing these, and there needs to be a mechanism. I don't know that a booth umpire would have thrown a flag for that shove of Donovan Peoples-Jones on the out and up, but it's pretty blatant. It's pretty blatant. And I've suggested yeah. in the past that maybe they should just have a small crew on the field and then maybe have multiple booth umpires, and one person is assigned to certain types of fouls and rulings another person is exclusively looking for pass interference offensive or defensive another person is assigned to holding i you know i just i, I think they need to tear the entire officiating structure down and rebuild it in light of the technology that's available today because the the calls that we just showed that were missed in a very exciting game it undermines it well and then we can go to the hell mary too which was another missed call there if we see that one in a minute but Mike, there's a reason that coaches sit up in the booth in the press box, and the reason is they can see better. And I don't know if anybody's watched a game standing on the field. I watch a lot of A&M games on the field on, down on the sideline every once in a while. I, I hate it because you can't see the game. You can't tell what's happening. You find yourself looking at the big screen, and you have no idea what's going on or how many yards are gained or anything else. Now, the officials, the NFL, fixed what a catch is and isn't. I mean, they fixed that. We're not talking about what's a catch, what's not a catch anymore. And it actually was a fairly easy fix. Why it took so long for, the, for them to fix that, I don't know. But they did get that fixed. I think we would all agree with that. Pass interference is so subjective. I don't know how you fix it. I don't know how from crew to crew they officiate these things in the same way, how you teach them to do that. But there have been a ton of missed calls, whether it was getting it wrong with, with the calls we saw on the first Chargers-Browns play or whether it's not making the call as we saw on the second and the third one. They just flat out missed them. But I don't know how you fix that, Mike, other than maybe, as you said, hide the sky judge and get them to be more involved in the, in the game. And the problem is they tried to make defensive and offensive pass interference Calls and non-calls, fouls and no fouls, subject to replay yeah. review two years ago, and it Didn't was work. a disaster. We were joking two years ago that it basically was a magic eight ball type of a situation because it was, because you never knew what Al Riveron was going to decide. The standard changed over and over. I remember how alarming it was when Al Riveron, before the season, in his annual meeting with the networks, met with NFL media, and I think the NFL wasn't real happy about this because it's all supposed to be off the record, but Al Riveron disclosed to NFL media at the time the idea that you know some plays from the prior year that no one even thought were controversial would be reversed from a non-call of interference to a call of interference. And that was stunning to a lot of people that it was going to be micromanaged to that extent. There's a sweet spot there somewhere. There's a balance there somewhere. And they are the ones who should be figuring it out, just like they eventually figured out what is and isn't a catch. It's up to them to apply the resources, the creativity, and the ingenuity to do it. The problem is the NFL is so used to being reactive, not proactive. When they try to be proactive, they screw it up. Let's yeah. look at that Hail Mary again. 
because this is another one where I think the flag should have come out. You can see as David Njoku is sprinting to the end zone, and the Browns do the Hail Mary like the Saints do it. They don't let everyone set up and then throw it to the end zone. They throw it like a go route. You got trips to the right. They're streaming down the field. Baker Mayfield weaves through traffic, steps up and throws, and you can see the the players are trying to get in position. The ball's coming down. And Michael Davis again, the guy who got away with the shove of Donovan Peoples-Jones, I think he accidentally tripped, but it's not incidental contact if you trip over your own two feet and then take out a receiver on the way to the ground. That's exactly what happened. Davis stumbled and fell and took out the legs of David Njoku, and there was no call. And the other thing that's amazing, during the broadcast, they barely even mention it, and it, it may be a function of it all happening so fast. And like you said, Shireen, when you're down on field level, it's a different reality. It's like it's not even the yeah. same game. It's a completely different perspective. That's why coaches always say, I have to go watch the film. You can't pick out what one guy is doing when you're down there level with 22 people on the field. So it's been the same way the game's officiated from 1921. They still use two metal sticks and 30 feet of chain link. They still use the naked eye. For the most part, except for the formal replay review function, plus whatever they're doing now with this enhanced replay assistant thing, they just need to fully embrace all technology, and they need to reimagine the officiating function from scratch. They need to do it, and they never will until Congress forces them to. And by the time we get legalized gambling in 40 to 44 states, that may be the point where Congress forces them to do it, Shereen. They may not have a choice. They may not, Mike, and something needs to happen uh, with pass interference and with some of these calls that we're seeing. There's just been a ton of missed calls this season. I wrote, I tweeted a couple weeks ago that I thought this is the worst officiated season I've seen so far, and I do think that. There have just been so many missed calls, and I think that the NFL is fortunate that on Hail Marys, like, we question them, but as you said, networks just move on to to whatever's next. They move on to the post-game interviews or whatever, and it's just kind of glossed over when it's a Hail Mary play. But we've seen a lot of these now on Hail Marys, and a lot of plays have come down to those Hail Marys that haven't gotten the flag thrown that would have changed the outcome of a game. And at some point, it's going to be something else other than a Hail Mary that's a missed call, and it's going to be really bad, like we saw in the New Orleans and the Rams game. Just think, if you, as you've pointed out a million times, if this happens in the Super Bowl, all bets are off at that point. Yeah, and it's not just the non-calls of interference. It's the extremely yeah. ticky-tack, roughing the passer penalties that we still see. And there's no way to fix it. And there's no transparency. There was no media tour by Walt Anderson today to go over the mistakes that were made. And Mike Golick pointed out earlier today that they don't owe that to us, but who they owe it to, the people increasing in number who are responding in the desired way to the various TV commercials inviting, where legal, people to place wagers on games with the various companies that are the official sports betting partners of the NFL. Those are the folks... To whom you owe the transparency. And this is kind of a Wild West period for the NFL. And we're living in the middle of it, so it's hard to have distance from it and appreciate it. But they better figure this stuff out. I almost said a different word. They better figure this S-T out or they're going to have a mess because people are going to realize there's too much riding on it financially, hard-earned money that American citizens are wagering on these games. 
There needs to be more transparency, there needs to be more accountability, and there needs to be a greater effort to ensure that the calls are accurate. And it needs to seem like the NFL cares. With no transparency, with no discussion, with go hide your head in the sand, that's not the way to convince people you care. And, Mike, I'm old enough to remember, and it was not very many years ago, when the NFL fought Tony Romo over having his fantasy football convention in Las Vegas, and now they've embraced this. If you're going to embrace this, then you do have to have transparency in your officiating or there are going to be questions outside of the NFL about what they're doing. And without that transparency and accountability, when you have that kind of financial interest riding on games that's when people start to think it's rigged and that's not what you want and i've said for years and to anyone who suggests to me that there's some sort of conspiracy theory or the games are rigged i always say they're not they're not they're not always err on the side of incompetence not conspiracy because frankly it's too damn hard to pull off a conspiracy yeah and when i mean this is kind of a this is more of a of an indictment than a compliment. I don't think the NFL could pull it off if they wanted to rig games. And frankly, think of how many people would have to take to the grave that games were yeah. rigged. It just, it's, it's just not something that's going to happen, and the NFL has no interest in it happening. They don't care who wins the games. They win either way. The money continues to flow in, but they need to, to take this seriously or more and more people will opt out. They'll check out. They'll say this is no different than professional wrestling. Uh, let's take a quick break. We've got my conversations I had yesterday with Marquise Callaway of the Saints on his Hail Mary catch and also Chase Claypool of the Steelers. And there it is, the it is. Steve DeBerg speaker system. It looks like he just went to the uh, wow. department store and got himself a radio off the shelf and uh, strapped it onto the back of his shoulder pads, and he was good to go. That's something. That's from 1980. You know, Shereen, 1980 doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but when you see pictures no. like that, you realize it was a yeah. long time ago. And we were alive then, <laughs> which makes us it old. It was. It's depressing. We'll be back it with does. more PFTPM right after this. <laughs> How important was today's win for you guys? Yeah, I think today's game was a must win for us. Um, something that we needed to get back on track and to feel good going into next week versus Seattle. The noise from outside, how much do you guys hear it? How much are you motivated by it? Um, I mean, it depends on how much you look into it. I don't look into it too much uh, here and there, but like, you know, at the end of the day, I think we motivate each other and not, not other people. What, what, what was the message from Mike Tomlin going into today's game? I think that one of the biggest things was start fast and then, you know, generate chunk plays, which we did both because, you know, you get chunk plays, you have, you eliminate a lot of the execution needed for long but not the shot. I want to talk to you about the Hail Mary. Walk walk me through how that play was designed and how it unfolded for you. I mean, we practice it every week. Um, so it's not something that, you know, is brand new or something that we have little experience or issues on so we go through it every week one week offense jumps next week defense jumps so defense getting the same um look as the offense gets so if they're ever in that situation you know they'll be prepared for it but um it's just a practice so uh, it's just practice so going in there executing it, it's not like we didn't know what to do you know so just having it on film and being able to execute it 
just shows that we can do it even when the time needs it. Drew Brees, who's with us at NBC now, said that he used to like to throw it like it was a go ball, not like a normal Hail Mary where everybody gets in the end zone and then you throw it up for grabs. Is that how you guys still do it? Well, if Drew said it, it that's exactly what happened. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Drew, Drew knows the offense better than probably anybody other than Sean and Pete. So the way Drew explained that's exactly how we did it. Yeah, I mean, it starts with me. I mean, I think the three of them were on me. I mean, the interceptions and then the, the fumble at the end of the game. Um, and so I have to correct that. I have to be better. Uh, it's something that I've, I've not usually done in my career, but I have to reevaluate where I'm at, uh, what decisions I'm making. Um, so uh, once we do, we do that, I think we don't, we don't kind of hurt ourselves. I think we'll find ways to score points. Um, and so, uh, I mean, turnovers are a huge deal in this league. Turnover margin usually, usually decides games. Um, and so it's something we have to correct as a team if we want to we want to win these football games. Patrick Mahomes talking to reporters after last night's 38 to 20 loss to the Buffalo Bills. We mentioned this earlier and Bills fans get triggered when I only point out this one play. And I know there were other plays that were not properly officiated, but when you boil it down to the play that resulted in an interception by the Chiefs, wiped off the board because of a questionable roughing the passer call on Frank Clark when he kind of half scooped, kind of half gave Josh Allen the business with his shoulder. It looked like the kind of thing that shouldn't have been called, but that gave the Bills a fresh set of downs, and 31-20 becomes 38-20 instead of 31-28 in Kansas City with all the momentum favoring the Chiefs. It felt like the Chiefs had a chance to turn it into a game. And it's just a shame we were deprived of what would have been a more exciting finish. The Bills may still have won, but the Chiefs, I don't think, are all that far off, Shereen. And I'm surprised by the points bet odds with Kansas City, which had been the favorite to win the Super Bowl pretty much all year. They're now third on the list at plus 700, 7 to 1 odds, behind the Buccaneers at plus 550 and the Bills at plus 600. I'm surprised the Chiefs are as high as they are. They're ahead of the Rams, the Packers, and teams like the Chargers. I, I don't know that I'd bet on the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl at this point. No, and our true and false is, will they make the playoffs? And I say they won't make the playoffs, and I say it's false to that. I do think they will make the playoffs, but if I consider them a Super Bowl favorite, absolutely not. I don't see this as a team that right now can go to a Super Bowl, especially the way the defense is playing. They're just not good enough defensively. They're just not. And when you look, they already have three losses, Mike. They lost two games last year, four games the year before, four games the year before that. So they would have to lose one game the rest of the way to, to have that match that four losses or fewer over the last three seasons. And remember, after they won the Super Bowl, so it would have been, what, two seasons ago, after that Super Bowl, they were talking about winning six, seven, eight. I've even lost count of how many Super Bowls they were talking about winning. And, and here we sit two years later. They're not the Super Bowl favorite. They lost it last year, two and three. They did go 14 and two before losing the Super Bowl last year. But they're not the same team that they were two years ago where they were dominant and just rolling over people. I just don't see that. But I do think they finished second in their division. I do think they get that wild card berth because when you start looking at it, the AFC North, the AFC East, I think both of those divisions only get one team into the playoffs. 
First of all, how dare you actually read the outline and follow the topics as they've been <laughs> laid out ahead of the program? And second of all, thank you for pointing out that I had failed to do that and pulling me back into the realm of something reasonably resembling what it is we should be doing. So true or false, yes. I think the Chiefs will still make the playoffs because there's seven spots yeah. up for grabs. And I also think right. that... They do get dangerous if you write them off. It was in 2019 when – it's not like we looked at them as a non-playoff team, but we looked at them as a non-Super Bowl team because the Ravens were so damn good that year. And Patrick Mahomes missed a couple of games, and the Chiefs were just kind of there. And Mahomes told me at one point – after they beat the Broncos in a snow globe game in December that, you know, I kind of like it that people are overlooking us. It was the 49ers that were the darlings that year, and the Ravens were so good. And uh, the Chiefs just kind of hung around and ended up taking care of business. And I, I don't know that, that they can pull that off again this year, but they definitely are becoming a team that will not be taken as seriously as they were as they keep losing games. And you're right, two and three? That's a long way to go, and you have not many more losses you can tolerate before you, as a practical matter, won't make the playoffs. Okay, so true or false, the Bills should be the favorites to win the Super Bowl. I strayed into that territory accidentally or negligently. Tampa Bay is the favorite at plus 550. The Bills at plus 600. Should the Bills be the favorites? Yes, and you've had them in your power rankings, I think, first since last week. I will have them first on mine this week. I had the Cardinals last week. But I think the Bills have shown that because they're ranked number one in total defense and eighth in uh, total offense. They've had those two shutouts. I mean, we all talk about Josh Allen and the weapons he has on offense and how good they're on offense. It's kind of like those Cowboys teams of the 1990s. They remind me a lot of that. We talked a lot about the triplets. But Cowboys never ranked number one in total offense on those 90s teams. They were, to they were number one in total defense, I think twice is the number. And they were so good on defense. And I think you see that with this Bills team. Two shutouts already, playing incredible on defense. I love this team. I admit I thought there might be internally some dissension with what went on with COVID and Cole Beasley in the offseason. Don't see any of that. This is the team that's playing as the best team in the NFL right now, Mike. And barring injury, I think they're going to be there in the end. Speaking of Cole Beasley, he's been MIA lately. He had one catch for five yards last yeah. night. So maybe the locker room has spoken on Cole Beasley, not just a matter of him not being vaccinated, but creating a distraction for the team. There was an issue not long ago where he complained about how the fans were treating him. He took to Twitter. I, I, I don't know. Maybe he's being ostracized by his teammates for whether deliberately or inadvertently upsetting the apple cart or at least trying to just to get more attention for himself and his cause. They play the Titans in Tennessee next Monday night. It'll be interesting to see the Bills in prime time again, see if they can continue to win in dominant fashion by week after that. Let's consider this schedule. Dolphins on Halloween. At the Jaguars. Oh, God. At the Jaguars. <laughs> hey, Urban Meyer, you think you're playing Alabama yeah. every week? Yeah, you yeah. ain't seen nothing yet until the Bills come to town. At the Jets the next week. The Colts, who gave the Bills everything they could handle in the playoffs last year, but that's not this year's Colts team. At the Saints, week 12, which could be a very interesting game. 
the Patriots on a Monday night, not nearly as exciting as it would have been in the past. And then look at week 14, Shireen. Super Bowl preview, yeah. just like last year, I think it was week 12's Chiefs at Bucks. This year, could it be a Super yeah. Bowl preview? Bills at Bucks. I think that's my Super Bowl prediction. I think I yeah. feel pretty good about it. Yeah. And I think I feel very good about December 12, 425 p.m. Eastern, Bills at Buccaneers. Yeah, right now I would say they're playing better than the Buccaneers are at this point. But I'm not I'm not betting against Tom Brady either. That's that's tough to say. Tom Brady, when we look at what the Buccaneers did in the regular season last year, Mike, they did lose to the Chiefs and they were horrible in that first quarter. They were great in the Super Bowl against that Chiefs offense. True or false, going for it so often on fourth down will not work out for the Chargers in the long run. They're seven of eight this season. They were three for three on Sunday. I think that's false. I think they need to keep doing what they're doing. They're being aggressive, and I think they use analytics a lot. I think coaches punt too often on fourth down rather than going for it. I think they've done a great job on that. It's working for them, especially if they can get a, a defensive pass interference, questionable defensive pass interference, on a fourth down play way downfield, Mike. Yeah, look, I, I have complete faith in Brandon Staley, the early favorite for coach of the year. He's been phenomenal. His press conferences are great. He's destined to be a star coach, and he's exactly the guy the Chargers needed to finally lead them out of this kind of quasi-funk they've been in as the, the little brothers to the L.A. Rams and uh, still a chance for an all-L.A. Super Bowl, which would be awesome, especially since they play it in L.A. this year. True or false, the Cowboys have the most dangerous offense in the NFL. I'm going to say true simply because they have better running backs than what the Bills have. They have that two-headed monster there with Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott. All those players uh, at the skill positions. And this is even with Michael Gallup out of the lineup. But they're first in total offense, second in rushing, tenth in passing. They're well-balanced. They can beat you any way you want them to beat you, whatever you want to take away. They've got some answer to that. 170 points. The Bills have scored 172, so they're second in scoring. But I love this Cowboys offense and the way they're playing right now, Mike. And Dak Prescott, I think, is being overlooked when we talk about the best quarterbacks in football. He should not be. I mean, Josh Allen was phenomenal last night. I think we just need to see more Cowboys in prime time. We saw them Monday night a couple of weeks ago. They outclassed the Eagles. We saw them week one against the Buccaneers, and Dak Prescott played extremely well. I just think we need to get reacquainted with this Cowboys team. I know there's a Sunday night game coming up in a few weeks against the Vikings, and they will probably win that one going away. They're going to win a lot of games this year. And when we start shaping up the playoff field in the NFC, I think we have to take the Cowboys very seriously because of that offense and a defense that is far better than it was last year. True or false, the Bengals are playoff contenders, Shereen. Oh, I think it's true, but I should probably give this question to you because you're the one who said a few weeks ago before the season started that that was your third pick as the Bengals have no chance to make the playoffs. And I will say I picked the Panthers, and I would say they both have a chance now. But I like this Bengals team, Mike, and I like the way they're playing. I know there's no moral victories in the NFL. I get it. But they told me something in that game yesterday. Did I pick the Bengals in that draft? Yes, I think we have some did. archive footage that we need to delete very quickly. Or we're both going to be candidates for at Old Takes yes. Exposed. And look, the Panthers have cooled off after starting 3-0. and 
the Bengals are showing that they can hang with the best teams in the NFL. They've had they, they've gotten three wins. They've looked good in several different games. They could have slash should have won yesterday over the Packers. That would have been a real moment for the Bengals. I feel bad for them yeah. that they didn't pull that off. So I will I will self correct myself as Sims would say, and I'll say that they are playoff contenders. Even though yes, not that long ago I said they have no chance. Was it no chance or slim chance? It was no chance. No, oh, well. it was no chance. no chance. Yeah, I have no chance of talking my way out of that. I'm not going to be like Urban Meyer and think if I, ju- if I just talk long enough, I'll accidentally say something that'll make <laughs> it all go away. The Lions are cursed, speaking of things that won't go away. True or false? Well, it's true. Of course they are. The Bobby Lane curse. It's still going on, and it will probably I thought that was 50 be going years. on for a long time. I thought that was only 50 oh. years. I, it seems like it's still there, Mike, doesn't it? I mean, this just seems like a franchise that's cursed. And unfortunately, I think this coaching staff has done a terrific job with this team. They have a lack of talent, and yet they've stayed in games, and they've been there in the end. And this is not a team I don't think that's going to go 0-17. They're, they're close to getting a victory, and you better be ready to play. And you better be ready to play to the end, as the 49ers and the Vikings both found out. The Bengals better be ready for them come Sunday. You know, there's a lot of four-digit codes in modern life, whether it's the the password for your ATM card or you've got the little pad on your garage door or your security system, four-digit code here, four-digit code there. I doubt that anyone who is a Lions fan will ever use 1917 as their four-digit code because it was 1917 yesterday in the loss to the Vikings on a last-second 54-yard field goal. It was 1917 two weeks earlier in the loss to the Ravens on a 66-yard field goal. And as Mike Tirico pointed out last night, the final score of that game back in 1970 when Tom Dempsey hit the 63-yarder was 1917. Lions on the wrong side of it. So screw 1917. That's the curse. I think if you say 1917 three times into a mirror, somebody shows up and bites (laughs) off your kneecaps. You know what's funny about that, Mike, and I can give this away now because the Cowboys aren't at Valley Ranch anymore. When they were at Valley Ranch, that was their home training center. We all entered through the same door. Players, everybody entered through the same door, and the media went through the same door. So we had to have the code to get into Valley Ranch. The code was 1960, the first year of the franchise. So I'm surprised it wasn't one of their championship seasons, but it was 1960, the first year of the franchise. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. It's funny how it's usually something that if you were going to sit down and start guessing them, right. it wouldn't take all that much to figure it out. Uh, that's why I always come up with the most obscure four-digit <laughs> codes possible. Don't get any ideas, anybody out there that you know wants to try to come break into my house. First of all, I have a very vicious dog, and I have a wide assortment of firearms Amazing. that secure this house against any and all intruders. So don't get cute with any of the four-digit codes that could provide you access to my house. On that happy note, let's take a break. When we return, we'll get you ready for the Monday night game. The Colts go back to Baltimore and not in a Mayflower moving van. We'll be right back. I like our identity right now. If you say, what's the identity of the Jacksonville Jaguar offense? It's a physical offense that runs the ball in balance. You know, our goal is always 250-250. I want to say we were 250, 200. You know, that's what we want to be. 
250 rushing yards, 250 passing yards. That's a little ambitious for a guy who's still learning what it means to be an NFL head coach. The NFL record for average rushing yards in a full season is 240.4. That was set by the Lions before the Bobby Lane curse back in 1936. The 2019 Ravens are the only team since 1977 to average over 200 rushing yards per game, and they were at 206, and they were skewed heavily toward the run. So, I I mean, that's 500 yards of total offense every week. Yeah, I'm not having I, I just, I, I look, I've, I've said more about Urban Meyer over the course of the last week than I ever wanted to in one week of my life. It just, if he was an employee of a company, you just have to walk into his office and say, I'm sorry, but you just don't understand how it works here. And it's in your interest and it's in our interest for us to move move apart and go in a different direction. And you go back to college if there's anyone out there that will currently hire you. Well, and I was looking at that thinking, this is not college. This is not Ohio State dominating Rutgers or whoever they happen to be playing that week. I mean, frankly, most of the teams in the Big Ten aren't that good. You can do that in college. You can't do that in professional football. And anybody who even kind of sort of maybe glances at the NFL knows that. I mean, you just can't. The defense is too good. The players are too good in this league. Yes, it's an offensive league, but teams don't average 250 rushing yards and 500 yards per game. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean, that would be a pretty good team. If you could pull that off, that would be pretty good, but it's going to yeah. take a long way to do that, especially if you don't use James Robinson the way that you should. That's one of the things <laughs> that Urban Meyer has not done properly this year. Speaking of the Ravens, in addition to being the last team to average over 200 yards rushing per game since 1977, will they manage to extend their streak of consecutive games with 100 or more rushing yards? They are at 43 tied with the Pittsburgh Steelers. The all-time record is on the line tonight. This is high drama. We don't need a Manning cast tonight. We just need, on ESPN2, a separate meter showing all the yardage. I mean, come on. I, I'm being, you know, sarcastic. I guess if you have to say it, it's not very effective. But, uh, look, it's Ravens-Colts tonight. The Ravens should win. The rushing record is meaningless. And I don't care what anyone from the Ravens says otherwise. It's meaningless. When Franco Harrison and Rocky Blyer didn't even know the Steelers had the prior record, it's meaningless, Shireen. Well, we didn't even know about it till what, a couple weeks ago, Mike? So this is crazy that we're talking about a record that I guess it's a record, but meaningless to most of us. And I think you've pointed this out, and I think you're right, that if it wasn't a record held by the Steelers, I don't think even the Ravens and John Harbaugh would care about this record, Mike. Yeah, this is definitely a Pittsburgh thing. And look, it's tainted just like Michael Strahan's single-season sack record. Anybody who follows the NFL yeah. knows there's a gigantic asterisk on that because Brett Favre took a yeah. dive to help Michael Strahan get there. So I, it's, it's, it's meaningless, and it's made even more meaningless by the way the Ravens matched the Steelers' feet of 43 straight games. I, I, I assume you're with me on the idea that the Ravens should yes. win this one. And I hope it's an exciting yes. game. I hope it's a good game. But I, I feel like the Ravens should just kind of gradually overpower them. 
Yeah, and what I want to see out of the Ravens is something that I've seen more of this season, and it's not Lamar Jackson's running. It's Lamar Jackson's passing. They were last in passing yards last season, as we all know. They've upgraded that. I think he's looked better as a passer. I want to see him do more of that tonight, Mike. Pretty good Colts defense he's going against. Yeah, great chance to do that. And I think what happens sometimes with the Ravens, when they encounter adversity, they skew toward their strength, just like a kid playing Madden. You know, I'll try a bunch of different things, but when the going gets tough, I got those three plays that work all the time until they don't. That's it for today. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll see you bright and early tomorrow morning.